And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 16. Here, beginning at verse 11, uh, we begin to consider three scenes. We'll only consider one this morning. Three scenes in which we see God's grace poured out upon individuals. This morning, it is this wealthy woman named Lydia. Lord willing, next week, we'll consider a slave girl. And then the following week, Lord willing, we'll consider the Philippian jailer who was brought to a point of uh, suicide. And we see God's intentional intervention into each of their lives in which he pours out his grace upon them sovereignly. There is a connection to these three stories. I'm not going to make mention of it right here this morning, but Lord willing, in a few weeks, bring that to light as we consider how the Holy Spirit used Luke to select these stories and arrange them in this way. This morning, we're going to focus upon the conversion of Lydia. So Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Let's give our careful attention to the word of God. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to, outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, last week we left off with Paul and Silas in confusing circumstances. You'll remember that Paul and Silas were commended to the grace of God by the church in Antioch for this, Paul's second missionary journey. But then as they set out, they were forbidden from preaching the word in Asia. And when they tried to go into Bithynia, the spirit of Jesus kept them back. He did not allow them. So despite the fact that Paul and Silas were sent out by God on this missionary journey, they immediately begin to be hindered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus, and it was all quite confusing. So what did Paul and Silas do? How did they respond when they faced these confusing circumstances? Well, they did two things. First of all, they trusted in the sovereignty of God. Even though those circumstances were confusing, they nonetheless trusted in God's sovereignty. They knew that while they were commissioned by God himself for this missionary journey, that even though God was closing certain doors, he was doing all of this, and so they could trust in God's sovereignty. And so second, trusting in God's sovereignty, they continued where they could. When the door was closed to go into Asia, they went through Phrygia and Galatia. And when they attempted to go into Bithynia and were kept back by the Holy Spirit, they simply went down to Troas. 
closed doors did not mean that Paul and Silas quit the ministry that God had called them to. Instead, trusting in the sovereignty of God, they continued where they could. Well, it was while Paul and Silas trusted and continued that then God directed their steps more clearly. You remember how last week Paul was given that vision of that man from Macedonia who stood before Paul and beckoned that he come down to help them. And because of that vision, they then went down to Macedonia. And our text now opens with Paul and Silas making their way into Philippi, this leading city of Macedonia. As they begin their work there, even though they knew that God had called them there, they didn't immediately find the kind of audience that they may have anticipated. Paul's vision, again, of that man from Macedonia was a man pleading with them to come down to help them. But there, they're, they've been there now for some days, and Paul and Silas are not finding anything like a large crowd or an eager audience. Instead, they're making their way through the city, just hoping to find someone who will hear. Well, that brings us to our text this morning, where Paul and Silas find a group of women who have come together and are willing to hear. Trusting in God's sovereignty and continuing where they could, Paul and Silas walk through the open door that the Lord gave to them. So finding this open door, Paul and Silas now bring the gospel to a small group of women to simply follow the Spirit where he leads. Trusting in God's sovereignty, continuing where they can, Paul and Silas now see the sovereign grace of God directed particularly at one woman. They see the way in which God is sovereignly directing all things to save one undeserving sinner. We see the way that God used closed doors to open many more. So let's look at three of those. Let's begin this morning by considering first an open hearing. An open hearing. God is sovereign over all things. And God is sovereign over the preaching and the hearing of his word. Boys and girls, do you know what the word sovereign means? A sovereign, one who is sovereign, a sovereign is the supreme ruler in a certain area. So, for example, King Charles III is the sovereign of the United Kingdom. He is the king in the United Kingdom, which means he is the supreme ruler in his realm. Well, God is sovereign over everything. God is the supreme ruler who reigns over all things. And here in our text, we see particularly that God is sovereign over the preaching and hearing of his word. How do we see this here? Well, first, we see that God sovereignly provides preaching. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do people call on the name of the Lord? Well, then he goes on and he asks, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
You see, preaching is the ordinary way by which God gives faith and sovereignly saves sinners. And here in our text today, we see God sovereignly providing preaching in the life of this one woman named Lydia. Last week, we considered how Paul desired to make this return journey to see the saints in his, or from his first missionary journey. But you'll remember how that disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, and the two separated. Well, that changed their plans. You'll remember that Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Barnabas took Mark with him, and he went first to Cyprus, which is where they probably both would have begun anyways. Paul then took Silas, and he heads directly to Syria and Cilicia, which means that even though there was this regrettable division, God was working sovereignly to direct the steps of his apostles where he willed. Last week, we also read of how the Spirit directed the way of Paul and Silas. He forbid them to preach the word in Asia. And then he closed the door to keep them from going into Bithynia. But those closed doors were directing Paul and Silas to an open hearing. In all of these events, God was sovereignly directing his word according to his will. At times, for sure, to Paul and Silas, things made no sense. But in time, and through the perspective that God's word gives, we are able to see now that God had great good intended all along. God sovereignly provides preaching. We also see in our text that God sovereignly gathers his hearers. Here in our text, Paul and Silas are in Philippi searching for a hearing. They go outside the gate to the riverside where they meet this group of women, and we see that God has sovereignly gathered these hearers. In this group, there is a particular woman. Her name is Lydia, and we are told that she is a seller of purple and a worshiper of God. We also learn that she is from the city of Thyatira, which means right now she is a long way from home. In God's sovereignty, he sent Paul to preach the gospel in Philippi at precisely this moment. And at the very same time, God has sovereignly directed all of the events of Lydia's life to bring her here to hear the preaching of the gospel. Through God's sovereign will being worked out in time and space, directing the preacher and the hearer, God gives an open hearing. Paul now has an open door to preach the gospel, and Lydia now has an opportunity to hear the gospel preached. The text specifically says of Lydia that she was one who heard. This was no accident. This was no mere coincidence. Instead, this is the sovereign grace of God at work in this world. This open hearing is the gracious gift of God. God is sovereignly directing these things for the sake of Lydia. God sovereignly saves. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So God sovereignly directs his preaching and God sovereignly gathers his hearers. Just think about all of the various testimonies represented by this room. Think about all of the different preachers that God has used in our lives to bring us to saving faith. How many different preachers has God used to convert us? And how many different preachers has God used then to continue to direct our eyes to Christ? 
How many different ways did God bring us to the hearing of his word? Perhaps some of you were invited by a friend at one time. How many of you maybe found a preacher online or maybe a book of sermons? How many were brought by parents? We can all look back and see that God was sovereign in directing certain preachers and us as hearers to bring us to saving faith. Well, in both the preachers provided and in the hearers gathered, we must give glory to God for his sovereignty in salvation. We must see that Christ is sovereignly ruling over these circumstances to direct his saving word to one undeserving sinner. That's what we see here in our text. Seeing here in God's word his sovereignty to provide an open hearing for the sake of this one woman named Lydia, should create within us at least two qualities. First of all, seeing this in God's word should create, create humility within each of us. It should create humility on the one hand from the simple fact that God is sovereign and we are not. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and God's word is clear. None is righteous, no, not one, which means we are absolutely dependent upon God's grace to save. And that is humbling. And yet it is that very humbling event that God often uses to then bring sinners to himself. And so on the other hand, if you know the sovereign grace of God, not only should this create humility in you, but it should also give you an unshakable hope. It should give you an unshakable hope because here in God's word, we see how God sovereignly orchestrates every single aspect of these events in order to direct his grace to Lydia who was lost. Lydia did not find God. God found Lydia. When Jesus died upon the cross to save Lydia, he didn't die upon the cross in order to make her salvation possible. Instead, he died upon the cross to save Lydia from her sins. And because Jesus died upon the cross to save her from her sins, nothing is going to stop Jesus from bringing that salvation to her in time and space through the preaching of his word and through gathering Lydia to hear that word. God is sovereign to bring the word of his grace to sinners and sinners to the word of his grace. And we should all be humbled by this. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We should all be incredibly humbled and at the same time confident in God's work, His sovereign directing of His word to His people. So Lydia comes to saving faith. But we have seen many times throughout the book of Acts, God's word being faithfully preached, but not everyone believes. So why does Lydia here believe? Why is she singled out from the group of women as the one who believes? Well, that brings us second to consider an open heart. An open heart. 
Verse 14 says, One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. We need to unpack those words. God sovereignly provided for the gospel to be preached and heard. And in this incident, everything is now being focused upon this one woman named Lydia. When the text tells us that she was a seller of purple, it is teaching us that Lydia was wealthy. She was of the class of wealthy merchants. Being a seller of purple meant that she made a lot of money. She was materially prosperous. And she was able to say from an economic standpoint that she needed nothing. She was self-sustaining and self-reliant, needing no one and depending on no one. In fact, we learn later on in the text that many others depended upon her. She was the head of her household, and there are many dependents who depended upon her. The text also tells us that she was a worshiper of God, which means she was what was called then a God-fearer. This means that she had an interest in the things of God, that she was spiritually minded. But as we learn later on in the text, she does not yet know Christ. So when the text tells us that she worshiped God, it is not making a statement about her having a true saving relationship with God through Christ. Instead, it is telling us that while she was religious, she, that she was religiously active and engaged. Well, God's word tells us next that in the sovereign hearing that God had opened, the Lord also opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So God sovereignly arranged for the preaching and hearing of his word, and God sovereignly worked within the heart of this particular hearer. God opened her heart to pay attention in a special way to the preaching of the gospel. So what does this mean? It means two things. First of all, it means that prior to this sovereign act of God within Lydia's heart, she was indeed spiritually dead. Lydia, before that moment, was spiritually dead. Despite the way that things seemed, Lydia was spiritually dead. How so? To anyone's eyes, Lydia looks very much alive. She is an upstanding citizen. She took care of many others in her own household. And she was, even as the text says, a worshiper of God. So seeing these things, how can she still be spiritually dead? Well, Ephesians 2 teaches us that everyone is born spiritually dead. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, like the rest of mankind. Well, Lydia is here a helpful picture of what it can look like when one is spiritually dead. Being spiritually dead, you can still be very much physically alive. You can be doing really well in terms of your temporary experience. Lydia was a model citizen. She was responsible, hardworking, and law-keeping, and she was very successful, taking care of many others. And so she could be described by the words that we find in Revelation 3, where God's word says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, 
not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, because Lydia was spiritually dead, she was also spiritually blind, which means she very well may not have realized her wretched estate, that she was indeed pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. She likely believed that she was doing really well in her religious life, but the text is clear. She was at this moment still without Christ. Even though she is wrapped up in religious activity, she still needs that new life that is found in Christ alone. Well, that is where we witness the sovereign, saving grace of God that is powerfully worked in Lydia's life. You see, although she is here spiritually dead, by the power and grace of God, while the word is being preached, she is made alive in Christ. In that moment, while Lydia is listening to the gospel being preached by Paul, she was born from above. She was born again. She was granted new life and faith as a gift from God. It was while she was attending to the word of God that God made her alive together with Christ. And so what Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2, it was her experience in this moment. Though Lydia came to the preaching of God's word that morning, spiritually dead, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved Lydia. Even when she was dead in her trespasses, God made her alive in Christ. By grace, she has suddenly been saved and raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. In a moment, a miracle happens. And this one who is spiritually dead springs to new life. She is suddenly sovereignly, powerfully, and graciously given new life in Christ. God has opened her heart to believe. So what does this mean? And what do we need to understand from seeing how God gave this open heart? Well, there are three important takeaways for us at this point. First of all, we need to see and recognize that one can be spiritually active, but spiritually dead. It is important that we understand that one can worship God in a certain sense, but still not know God savingly. We need to see and understand this so that we seek after Christ, so that we do not stop short of being united to Jesus Christ by faith. Boys and girls, you have been blessed to be brought to worship each and every week of your lives since you were born. Your parents love you, and they want you to cling to the gospel, to know Christ in the same way that they do. And so you have been blessed to be brought to worship each week. But just because you engage in spiritual activity, it does not necessarily mean that you have that true, saving, spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And this warning is here in the text for all of us. None of us should content ourselves with a mere spiritual activity. 
You see, it is possible, it is possible for me to stand here and to preach the word of God to you guys without knowing Christ myself. That is theoretically possible. How do we see that? Well, Judas. Judas preached Christ faithfully. He performed signs and wonders, but in the end, he died without faith in Christ. And so that is a reality that we see in the word of God, and it is meant to drive us second to Jesus Christ. Second, we need to seek new life in Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Nicodemus is that ruler in Israel. He's a teacher of Israel. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This teacher in Israel is perplexed. What do you mean, Jesus? Can a man enter again into his mother's womb so that he can be born again? Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is directly giving these words to Nicodemus. He's telling him, listen, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is confused, saying, okay, but but how in the world can I be born again? Well, that is why Jesus goes on. To direct Nicodemus's eyes to Christ. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The point is clear. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, you need to be born again. And the only way to be born again is to look to Jesus Christ, that one who was lifted up upon the cross. Believe upon Christ and you will be saved. We must be careful never to content ourselves with spiritual activity. Instead, we need the substance. We need Jesus Christ. True life is found in Christ alone. Which brings us to the third. If you have experienced this new birth, if you have been born from above, if you know Jesus Christ by faith, if you've been given the gift of faith, well then the the takeaway for you this morning is great gratitude. If you have been given new life in Christ, you have received the greatest gift that you could ever imagine. Having been granted new life in Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven. You have been clothed with the perfect, righteous robes of Jesus Christ. And what now awaits you is a paradise filled with perfect, unhindered communion with God forever. Well, as those who are born God's enemies, if you have received this incredible gift, this demands great gratitude. And so that's what we see in the final portion of our text this morning. So let's consider third. 
an open home. An open home. When the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, she came to understand her true spiritual condition. She came to understand her true need for Jesus Christ. And so she then paid attention to the gospel believingly. And in that very moment, she sprung to new life by that faith given by the Holy Spirit. She believed upon Jesus for salvation. Even though she was previously known as a worshiper of God, she now comes to true saving faith. And because of this, she is baptized. As an adult convert to Christianity, she has the sign of the covenant. That sign of being brought into the covenant community of God. She has the sign of the covenant applied to her. Because she believed she was baptized. Well, God's word then goes on to highlight how Lydia lived. With this great gratitude directed toward God. Because she had been graciously called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. She shows great gratitude in two ways. First of all, we see how God brought the gospel to the whole of Lydia's household. God opened her home by bringing the gospel not just to Lydia, but to her whole household as well. When Lydia came to saving faith, she was baptized. But that blessing of baptism was not then limited to her alone. Instead, as you can see right there in the text, Lydia believed and was baptized. But then, because of her faith, the gospel is applied to her whole family. Her whole household is baptized, given that picture of the gospel. Lydia was the head of her household, which means the blessings of the covenant of covenant baptism or household baptism, these blessings were extended to every member of her household. We don't know a lot about Lydia's circumstances. It may be that she was a widow who was taking care of her children and other dependents. Or it may be that she was just the head of her own household and she had many other dependents living with her as well. Whatever the circumstances are, we see that her whole household is sanctified by her faith. How so? Or in what sense is her household sanctified? It's in a certain sense. It's in the same sense that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul there writes about how the children of even one believing parent, they are holy or they are sanctified, they are set apart. In that context, the question is being asked about two people who are married, unbelievers, they have a child together, and then one of them comes to faith in Christ. The question is, what about that child? Well, Paul says that child is holy. That, part, that child has been set apart because of the faith of the parent. Well, holy or sanctified in what sense? Well, in the sense that they do not belong to this world, but instead they have been set apart unto God. To be clear, not set apart, not sanctified, not holy in a salvific sense, but only in the sense that they have been called out of this world, that they have been set apart from this world. Here in our text, Lydia has true saving faith, and that is why she is baptized. But God has now opened her home to the gospel. And so that glorious picture of the gospel that is found there in baptism 
It is applied not just to Lydia, but to her household as well. Lydia has a spiritual responsibility now for her dependents. And in this way, God sovereignly opens her home, her whole home, to the gospel. Lydia now knows the necessity of new life in Christ. And because of this, she is bringing the sign of that new life to her dependents. She wants them to see that just as water ordinarily washes dirt from the body, so too the blood of Jesus Christ is offered to wash sin away from the soul. And so the gospel is pictured in the baptism of each member of Lydia's household. And in this way, God sovereignly opens her whole home to the gospel. So through household baptism, Lydia's dependents have set before them the gospel in a vivid and tangible way. They are now blessed to see in a picture the gospel being preached. So God opened this home that was previously closed to the gospel through household baptism. But Lydia also shows her great gratitude in another way. In bringing the gospel promises of Christ to her whole household first in covenant baptism, but then second, we see God opening her household by way of hospitality. Look at how Lydia now lives as one who is deeply grateful for the grace that she has received from Christ. The text tells us that she urged Paul and Silas to stay at her house. And it's quite clear from the text that she would not take no for an answer because the text says that she prevailed upon them. In this wonderful way, God sovereignly opens Lydia's home. Later on in this same chapter, we're going to see that Paul and Silas returned to her home to stay with her once again. Her home, Lydia's home, has suddenly become something to be stewarded for the sake of Christ's kingdom. And so in both of these ways, we need to see and appreciate this open home is a work of God's sovereign grace. God has sovereignly saved Lydia, and because of God's salvation coming to Lydia, the gospel is now proclaimed to her whole household. And also, the blessing that Lydia has is now being lived out as she opens her home for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Well, in both of these ways, we need to see and appreciate that this is the sovereign work of God's grace. Receiving God's grace should result in open homes. No matter who you are, God has placed friends and family into your life so that your heart might be open to them to speak of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. God has given you in a myriad of ways some level of spiritual responsibility to seek first his kingdom in all of the relationships of life. Boys and girls, you have siblings. You have friends that all need you to speak of Christ to them. Young adults, you have many friends that need to hear about new life in Christ. Parents and grandparents, God has arranged your families in such a way that you are there to bring Christ to them. 
And in all of these ways, God has given all of us opportunities to show hospitality. Sometimes I believe we have a too narrow of a view of hospitality. And because of this, we can think of hospitality in terms of opening our homes and setting a meal before people. That is a wonderful way to show hospitality, but it's not the only way to show hospitality. You see, hospitality is itself a way of life. Hospitality is a matter of the heart. Hospitality is whenever you are willing to open your heart toward another for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hospitality may be as simple as getting a phone number from somebody so that you can text them later. It may be as simple as getting together with someone for coffee or spending time with someone who needs to hear about Christ or be encouraged in Christ. Hospitality is having a heart of Christ for others, whether believers or unbelievers of like. It is a, it is a posture of seeking that Jesus will be glorified in another's life. Well, we see here in this text that Lydia's heart has been opened. And because Lydia's heart has been opened, her home has now been opened. Her heart is for her home, her home to hear the gospel. But her home is also open in that she is willing to use whatever resources God has given for the advancement of God's kingdom. And so if you know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, seek this kind of opened home. Here we have seen in God's word the sovereign grace of God at work. As that supreme ruler over all things, we see God at work to give an open hearing, to then give an open heart, and then to give an open home. And in all of these ways, what God is doing is really opening heaven itself. He is opening himself up first to Lydia, and then to her household, and then to any who come through her home. And so in all of this, we see the sovereign grace of God at work. It is because of God's sovereign grace that we are here today that God has provided an open hearing, that God has provided open hearts, that God has provided open homes. And so as those who have been recipients of that sovereign grace, let us seek its further work in our lives and let us love and worship God for his sovereign grace. Let us pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we recognize right now in the preaching and hearing of your word that you are sovereign over these things. And so we ask that by your grace you would give us hearts to hear your word, to believe upon Jesus Christ, to be moved by his grace so that we might have hearts for our own homes, for all of the relationships that you have placed into our lives, and then also to use hospitality, not in a narrow sense, but in a broad sense, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us this picture of the way in which you are opening heaven unto us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would 
cause us to appreciate your sovereign grace so that we would worship and love you more and so that our lives would then bring glory to you. And so we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn together in our